Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Tom, Letitia, thank you guys for leading us this morning. Getting us started. Man, I think I was staring at those lights. I'm seeing like yellow splotches. Um, Is that normal? No, probably not. You guys are like, "Eh, whatever. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, So we are uh, tracking through Romans chapter 8. And uh, we are, uh, we've, we've made it through um, kind of the first, uh, the first major section as Paul talks about life in the spirit. Um, and we've been talking about how um, for those that, that have the spirit, um, you have life. And those that don't have the spirit don't have life. And Paul's been kind of playing this comparison of spirit and flesh. He's been kind of going back and forth on these two ideas um, so far in our text. And this morning, as as we look, um, we're going to be in uh, verses 18 all the way down to 25 today. And Paul's going to continue this comparison. Um, Paul, Paul in, in a lot of his letters, he writes to make arguments for things. And so he's he's comparing. He's saying, don't be in the flesh, be in the spirit. And so today... Um, we're going to look at Paul, um, as, as we wrapped up last week, one of the things that, that Paul had said was um, that we would become heirs with Christ. If we were in the Spirit, if we had the Spirit in us, we would become heirs with Christ if, and as he finished, if we also share in Christ's suffering. If we also share in the same way that Christ came and lived this life, that should be our expectation of life. It shouldn't be an expectation that everything's always going to be easy and rosy. Um, however, if we endure through that, there's a promise of what's to come. And so Paul is going to take that idea of suffering and what's to come, and he's going to flesh that out in this next section. And so he's talking about what's to come after this life. Uh, what it is that we can look forward to when our days on earth are over. And he's going to compare. He's going to make a comparison here. And what he's going to compare is our present reality, suffering and the things that we currently experience on a daily basis with what's to come. What's the promise to come? What are those things, the glory that is to come if we endure to the end? If we are faithful followers of Christ, what is that that's promised to us? Um, as one commentator said it, uh, he compares the already with the not yet. And I thought that was a really, I really liked the way that that, that sounded and, and, and thought about that. You know, we, we know what's already before us. Like we can look around at our world today and say, man, the already is, is broken in so many ways. Um, and, and, and we're going to actually talk about that here in a few minutes. But what about the not yet? What are those things that we're waiting for in the midst of the, the broken suffering, as Paul's going to say, what does it look like to, um, what's, what's to come, what's the life to come? And so what I want us to do today is I actually want us just to do a little comparison. I think this is helpful. Um, they, they say that when you're trying to make a big decision, right, that you should make a list of like the pros and the cons, and that kind of helps you figure out what you should do. And so we're going to kind of do that with the, with the passage. And so we're going to, as Paul is, is going to be talking through some of these verses, we're going to compare um, the already the things that we are currently experiencing with the not yet, the things that are, are to come. Make sure I do this right. All right. So Paul's going to mention a bunch of things that we are currently experiencing and then some things that we can look forward to. Um, and one of the things that, that we're going to notice um, that's going to become very apparent is that there is this in-between 
the already and the not yet. Like, like what does that look like for believers? And that's kind of what Paul is, is building up to and, and is trying to say, I think, in this passage is that, okay, if you're a believer in Christ, if you have the spirit in you that he's saying, right, and you're looking to the not yet, but yet we realize that we're still in a broken world. And there's heartache and there's hard things that we go through and there's suffering and there's pain. But yet, yet we can look to what's coming and we can believe in what's coming. But yet, how does that influence where I'm standing right now? How does that influence the moment and the heartache and the hard things that I'm going through today? Right? And so Paul's going to talk about that. And what he's going to say is that hope. Hope. That is the, that's the big idea today. That's the main point of, 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 I think, his message is hope. When you're in the already but the not yet, you have to, hope becomes the bridge to get you there. It's the bridge that we put our faith and our trust in. That's hope. And he's going to talk about that in verses 24 and 25. Um, but to, to kind of flesh out this idea, this, this struggle, if you will, that we have between the already and the not yet, um, I was, I, as I was preparing for the message this week, I was listening to a playlist on Spotify and the song came on the playlist. Um, and as I was, as I was like typing and, and and studying, I was like, this song just clearer than I could even say it describes this struggle between the already and the not yet. And so um, I'm not going to sing it to you, so you can be grateful for that. Um, so we're actually going to watch the song um, because I, I just feel like the way that the, the artist, so it's by a group called 10th Avenue North. Uh, it's a song called Warren. And, and as, you're, as you're watching this, I want you to pay attention to just all that's happening. I think they did a great job even through the cinematics of, of putting this music video together and the pictures. If you'll notice at the beginning, kind of what everything looks like compared to the end, I think it just all ties together. So uh, 10th Avenue North, uh, Warren. Uh, we want you guys to watch this and then we'll talk about that. And just, I feel like that just that sums up the, that picture of, of where, we, where we land at sometimes in life. Like as I look around, I feel like things are broken and what do I do about it and, and I know that there's a hope I know there's something greater that's what Paul's saying is that he's going to say that there's something out there beyond there's a glory that's coming but yet from where I sit today sometimes it's hard to see that I feel worn and, and wore out by this world uh, so what I want you guys to do is I want to take a few minutes and I want you guys to um, discuss this question so so as we as we normally do get in groups uh, four or five people or so um, and discuss this question um, how have you felt the struggle in your life between the already and the not yet? Like the, the struggle of, of being here, but yet hoping for something greater to come. Um, and, and what, as you look around at the world, what do you look around at and say, you know what, this is a picture of something that's, that's not the way it should be. Um, what's, what's things that you notice in the world around you that are broken and need restoring and brought back into their original purpose. Okay. So we'll take a few minutes, um, discuss that. And then we're going to get into, uh, what Paul has to say about this. So I know this is probably not nearly, uh, nearly enough time to discuss this huge. I know, I know it's the great thing about life groups, shameless plug again, um, where we, we have time to fully kind of discuss those things. Um, but I, want, I wanted our minds to kind of get in that place because that's where Paul is going gonna, is gonna to go in this passage. That's where he's going to lead us is to thinking about the already but the not yet. What, what is that struggle in between those things? Um, and, and as he's going to say here, he's going to say that the bridge between these two, how do we make it through, is hope. Hope. Hope becomes the bridge then for us to get from our current struggles and the things that we're dealing with in our life to the, to the not yet. 
And we're going to do something a little unusual this morning. We're actually going to jump down to the end of the passage um, and look at verses 24 and 25 because Paul defines out what that hope is there. Um, and I think that'll be helpful for us to see that. And then we'll go back and look more at this, uh, this struggle between uh, our current reality and, and what's to come. So verse 24, Paul says this. He says, for, for in hope, right? In this hope, we are saved. Paul's saying that, that that's, hope play, even plays a role in our salvation and us coming to Christ. We are saved because of the hope that we have. Now, hope that is seen uh, is not hope for, ho- for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently, right? Hope in and of itself is something that can't be seen. Right. And he says, like, like if you see it, it's really not hope. Right. Because because you kind of have that that foundation of it. But hope is, is putting your trust in something that you can't see. Uh, as, as one person defined it, hope is a desire for some future good with the expectation of obtaining it. Or as another person defined it, it's confident expectancy. I am confident of what I'm expecting. Yes, I'm not experiencing it right now, but I'm confident that a day's coming, right? I'm sure. I'm putting all my eggs in the basket that it's going to come through. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse 17 and 18, talks about hope in this way. Not that one? Okay. Okay, well, I got it right here, so we're good. He says this, so when God desired to show us more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, right? Talks about what what he was doing with Abraham. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is said before us. Right? God has made a promise to us, and we can hold fast to that, not because it just there's this promise, but because it's God who promised it to us. Right? We can, we can hold fast because we can trust in God more than we can trust in anything else. And so God then becomes the source of our hope, the purpose behind our hope. And what is this hope that we have? Right? What is it that Paul's talking about that, that we have hope in? Well, in Titus chapter 2, Paul writes about that. Uh, And in verse 13, he says this. He says, we are waiting for our blessed hope. What what is that? It's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Our hope in the midst of this broken and torn and worn out world is that our Savior is going to come back for his church one day. Right? He's going to come back for those that he loves and that we're going to spend eternity in glory with him. That's the hope that we're having. It's not seen yet. Right? We're currently working that hope out. And so what does it look like then for us in, in the midst of this um, already, in the midst of this broken world, to have hope in what's to come? Well, I think the end of verse 25, Paul gives us that. He says, for, but if we hope for what we do not see, he says, we wait for it with patience. And I think that's the place that we have to acknowledge our hope in today, is that there's this eager expectation of what's to come, but yet we're also having to remain patiently, right? And that eager expectation, right? When we can, when we can come to understand the depth and the beauty and the glory of what's to come, 
I think that helps us to be patient for it as we endure and as we walk through this life, as we think, see things that are broken, right? As we walk through life, as we go to work and we see these relationships that are messed up, right? As we go to school and we see things that are just messed up, right? We see people getting taken advantage of day in and day out, right? Maybe we ourselves get taken advantage of when we look around and we say, this is just not right. But yet that hope, that eager expectation of what's to come is what helps us through this life that we have. As one, as one guy said, a guy named Charles Simeon, he said it this way. He says, to a man who has heaven in his eyes, nothing is impossible, right? The hardest thing we can imagine, right? If we have our eyes set on what's to come, if our eyes are set on the glory that's before us, as Paul's going to say, it doesn't matter what we experience here on this earth. It doesn't matter the hard things that we go through because we're, our focus is on what's to come. We can walk through those things. We can walk through that abuse. We can walk through that heartache that we get. We can walk through those relationships that are messed up. We can walk through people taking advantage of us, right? Because we have a hope in that. We have a hope that things are going to be better on the other side. So hope, right? Hope. And a big part of hope is where our focus is, right? Where's our focus? Are we keeping our eye on what's before us, not our present reality? It reminds me of when I, when I played my illustrious baseball career. Um, I was so good that I played all the way from kindergarten all the way up to fifth grade, right, where they had to let you play. Um, it didn't matter how bad you were, they had to let you on the team. Um, and I was the kid that would sit out in left field, and I would pick the, the grass. Uh, while, you know, Because in t-ball, nobody ever gets it out to the outfield, except for you have that one kid you know, who you're like, Something's up. This kid should not be able to hammer the ball that hard, um, right? Um, but, but some, you know, I, I was just I was not a great kid, but uh, at baseball. But I remember one of the things um, when you transition from uh, from um, t-ball to baseball, um, it's it's completely different. You know, in t-ball, it's pretty easy. I mean, you can hit the the tee and the ball kind of falls off, and you can usually make it to first base. Um, and in baseball, though, there's somebody like tossing it. They're pitching it at you, right? And so I remember as I was preparing, I can't remember how many hours my mom spent out in the yard just throwing the ball with me. And she would always say one thing. She would say, keep your eye on the ball, right? We want to keep our eye. I would want to keep my eye on the bat, right? I wanted to see where the bat was going. And, and of course, every time I would do that, I would miss it, right? But it was keep your eye on the ball. And I think that's what hope says is hope says keep your eye on what's to come. Not your current reality. Yes, there's hard things and we're going to walk through those. And I think that's where the church comes in to, to help us to walk through those things together. But our focus, our eyes should be on what's ahead of us. And so we're going to talk about hope and we're going to see what hope, hope sees. What does it look like for hope to see the world that we live in? And so the first area that, that, that Paul's going to speak into this, he's going to say that hope sees, all right, Hope sees, so, so we start out with hope sees the past, past the already to the not yet. Now, Paul, as we get into verse 18, Paul's going to say um, that hope sees future glory instead of our current suffering. He's going he's gonna to say that we're going we're gonna to focus on what's to come, the glory of the life to come more than our current suffering. Look at verse 18. Paul says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not are not worthy compared of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed, right? He says, as, as, as I think about the sufferings that we go through in this life, he's like, I can't even compare that with the wonderful glory that's set before us, right? And I think it's important that we put our minds in the place of who's writing this, okay? We're not just talking about a guy who, who kind of skated through life and had it easy and never really went through hard times in his life, right? We're talking about Paul, 
right? We're talking about the guy who was beat up, who was left to dead, who was stoned on multiple occasions, who was shipwrecked multiple times, right? Who's, who's sitting in prison for most of the, the letters that he's writing. He's sitting in a dingy prison, most of the time chained to some sort of guard, right? And he's sitting there and he's writing these letters and he's saying, I don't consider all of this suffering worth even comparing. Like, I'm not going to even mention it when I look at what's to come. And I think that's the beauty of hope is that when we put our, our focus on hope, it sees what's ahead. It sees the future. It sees what's to come and not the current suffering, right? Paul's going to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's going to write about this current suffering. And notice how he says this. He says, for this light momentary affliction, right? This guy that has been beat up, this guy that has been shipwrecked, this guy that has been brought out and stones thrown at him and they thought he was dead. This guy's like, all that was just light momentary affliction, which is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are, are transient. They're, they're temporal. They're, they're just for a moment. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Right, And that, that might be one of the hardest things as we walk through this Christian life is to look at these current realities, uh, these transient things, and to realize that they're actually not um, as big as what's to come. They're not as, as weighty as the glory that awaits us. And that's, that's hard. I'm going to be honest. Like, it's hard. Uh, I remember when I, was, when I was in high school, and this is not to pick on high schoolers, um, but we, we just all do it. Like, we could probably all have this story. And I remember the things that I focused on when I was in high school and I thought were important. The things that dictated my whole world, right? Like, and one of those was like friendships, right? And so like you have somebody and there was a friend and they betray you in high school and you just thought like life was over, right? Or now you had an arch nemesis for the rest of your life. Um, and in that moment, it felt like every, this was the biggest thing in the world. Like my whole world was going to shake and fall down. You know, somebody starts a rumor about you or something like that and you feel like, man, my whole world's just going to be crashing down on me. But as you journey through life, and you look back, and now I look back at that like 20 years ago. Golly, that was a long time ago. <laughs> you look back at that like 20 years ago or, or so when that happened, right? And you, and you can see it in a different perspective, and you realize it's really, it really wasn't. In the grand scheme of my life, it wasn't that big. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here is that he said, when I look at the sufferings that I'm currently going through, when I look at that through the lens of eternity, Right? Of this, as I zoom out infinity times and I look at this small little blip of suffering that I go through compared to what's to come and the glory to come, like it's not even worth comparing. Like I shouldn't even talk about it. Right? And that's his mindset. And I think that's what hope builds up in us. Because we will have suffering in this life, we're going to go through hard things. If you haven't experienced something difficult in your life, just wait. Right? If you're not currently experiencing suffering in your life, just wait. It's coming. Right? Suffering is promised to us. Like it's going to happen. Um, and, and we've mentioned this before, but a guy named Tim Keller, a uh, pastor up in New York, um, he wrote a book called The Reason for God. And in his book, he gives four reasons why suffering happens in the world. 
Um, four reasons. And I think these are helpful reminders just to kind of get our mindset of why they're suffering. Uh, one, because it's a consequence for the sin and rebellion. Like when we walked away from God, we brought a lot of that suffering in and on ourselves because of that. Um, secondly, because um, each individual person still has a sense of free will. They still make choices. And so sometimes someone's choices will interfere with my life in a negative way. Some people are going to decide to interact and do harmful, hateful things to me in my life. And that's just part of God giving us that freedom in our life to do things. Um, he goes on to say, sometimes it's to discipline us, right? Sometimes God allows us to go through hard things to grow us and to teach us. I can tell you in my life, the times that I've grown the most have been through suffering and hard things, challenging things in my life, right? The good things, I don't usually learn anything, and that's probably because I'm not focused on it, right? When things are good and things are easy, like, I don't look to God in those times as much as I do when things are hard and challenging and difficult. And so God will use that to discipline us, but sometimes he uses that to grow us. He uses, he uses suffering to grow us in our, in our character and in who he wants us to be. I heard it once compared to like a diamond, right? If you find a diamond out in the rough, right, if you just find a natural diamond out somewhere in the ground, um, it's, it's really easy to kind of mistake that just for a common pebble because it kind of looks the same. It's only after you've cut into the diamond that you start to see the brilliance start to shake, take form. And then after that diamond has been cut, then a master artist is going to take that diamond and they're going to put it on a big circular wheel that, that's been sprinkled with diamond dust because it's the only thing that's, that's, that's strong enough right, to polish that diamond. And when that diamond has been polished and, and cut and polished, then you start to see the brilliance of that diamond. And so sometimes that, that process that we undertake in our life, sometimes that process of God refining us, like it's not easy, it's hard, um, but that's when the brilliance, that's when God grows us the most. Look what, he says, look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this, he says, In this you rejoice, that now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, right? Um, so that... That, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold uh, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? Just like gold is refined, there's a refining process that happens in our lives. And that refining process sometimes comes through suffering and hard things that we get through in our life. But yet Paul here is making the comparison that compared to the glory that is to be revealed... Right? The glory that is coming, this is not even, there's no comparison in that. Speaking of the glory, I, I love how the Amplified Bible, how they, how, they, um, how they translate this. They said, the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us and for us and conferred on us. There's this idea, this glory has nothing to do with us, but it's all about what God's going to give to us. Right, because it's 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 out of His glory and His beauty and His brilliance and His splendor that one day we're going to be glorified like Christ our Savior. Right, that's what we look to. That's what we hope in is that we will have a restored relationship back with God and we get to share in God's glory. It's really a picture of getting us back to God's original purpose that He had for us um, way back in the beginning. If you guys remember back in Genesis chapter one, right? God said, "Let us make man in our image." Right? We, our original purpose of humanity was to be image bearers of God, was to reflect the glory of God to the rest of creation. And because we thought we knew better than God and we broke that relationship, right? because that happened, we no longer became the image bearers that we once 
were intended to be. But Paul's saying, when I look to what's ahead and, and, and not what's behind, I look to a restoration back to that point of being that image bearer, image bearer of the glory of God. And so what does that mean for us then? What, is, what does that mean when we are in the midst of walking through this suffering and these hard things in life, right? I think it means that we need to keep our eyes on the glory, right? Keep our eyes focused on the glory that's ahead, right? And so I, I meant to do this a minute ago, and I just remember I didn't. So first thing he says in 18, he says, already we're dealing with suffering, right? But what's going to come is glory, right? And so hope becomes that bridge from the suffering that I'm dealing with to the glory that is to come. And I think what's, what's important for us to remember is that even in the midst of the suffering, God is still there with us. He's in the midst of us. It reminds me of a, of a story I heard this week about a lady, um, and she became very interested in, in, in the process of, of what a silversmith does. And so she goes to the silversmith, and she's like, hey, I, I got a question for you. She said, um, she said can, I, can I ask you a few questions about the refining process? And he said, oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and she says, well, when you're in the midst of that process, she said, do you sit down while you're refining that silver? And he said, oh, yes, ma'am, I must sit and I must keep my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace because if the refining process exceeds, right, in the slightest degree, the silver will be damaged. And the lady at once thought about the beauty and the comfort and the picture of what God does in our life. And then, and then, he, then she said, can I ask you one more question? He said, sure. She said, so, so when do you know the process is complete? And the lady said that, or the silversmith said this. He said, when I can see my own image in the silver, the refining process is finished. And I think that's a great picture of our lives, right? God is going to continue to refine us. And some of the ways he refines us is through suffering and hard things, right? But that process is done when we perfectly reflect him, right? And that's what we're looking for is to that day when we can come and we can perfectly reflect the glory of God. And so encourage us, right? Encourage us today. If you're going through a hard time, if we're suffering, if there's challenges in our life, right? Keep our eyes fixed on what's ahead. Keep our eyes focused on the glory. Not only, not only does hope look at the glory that's ahead, but hope also sees future freedom instead of our current bondage. Verses 19 through 22. Hope sees future freedom instead of current bondage. Look what Paul says. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage, the corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Right? And so now he moves. Paul moves. So here he's talking about us, right? He's talking about humanity. Humanity. But Paul's going to move over and he's going to start talking in verse 19. He's going to talk about creation. Right? Creation. And he's going to say that, that creation has even, is even in on this whole suffering and this whole uh, longing process. Right? And he says that the, the creation is even longing, right? It's eagerly and it's longing, right? It's longing. It's waiting for something to happen, right? And what is that that, he's, that, that it's waiting to happen? Well, it's waiting 
for something to come. It's waiting for, for a relief from its current situation. He's going to say that it's, that it's been subjected to futility, right? It's been subjected to futility. It's like, what in the world does Paul mean by that, right? We don't, we don't really use that word. Like, I don't feel like I've been subjected to futility lately. What, is that, what does that mean, right? Um, what he means here is that creation has been devoid. It has been rendered meaningless. It is less than its original intended purpose, Right? That's, that's what this phrase of futility means. It means um, creation as it exists today is less than its original purpose that it was created for. Um, and, and we see this because of what humanity did. When Adam and Eve decided to walk away from their relationship with God, they weren't the only ones that were affected. Right? Humanity and creation was both affected by that. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, this is God speaking, and he's speaking to Adam, and he's, he's telling Adam what's going to happen. And he says, um, and Adam, he said, God said this, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In the pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. He goes on to say in verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat from its plants. And he says, by the sweat of your face, uh, you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, there's this, there's this double curse that kind of happens, right? Adam and Eve received this curse, right, in this, in this broken relationship with them and God. But because of what they did, the earth itself, creation itself, is now less than it was meant to be. Right? What was the original purpose of creation? You guys remember? What was the purpose? Why did God create the heavens and the earth? To be what? to bring him glory, and it'd be a beautiful, perfect home for his humanity to live in, right? Like it, it became this place that, that he would put his little image bearers in for us to live in. And it was to produce fruit, and it was to provide for us, and it was supposed to be this wonderful place that we could live and share in the presence of God. Like, that was the purpose of him creating everything. So when sin came in and broke that, now it's not this perfect home that it once was created to be, right? It's now... Hard And yes, work was originally part of the, the plan. So those of you who are like, man, work is just because of sin. No, work was originally part of the plan. It's just now it's hard, right? It's now that I don't enjoy the work that I once did, right? And so not only, Paul is saying, not only is humanity kind of in the midst of this already, but not yet, but, but creation, right? Creation is longing for something to get better, Right? And what is it that they're longing for? Well, in verse 19, Paul says this, that they're, they're looking for the revealing of the sons of God. Right? The revealing sons of God. What in the world? Why would creation want to wait for the revealing of the sons of God? Right? Because what creation knows, right? What creation is longing for and yearning for is that day that, that when, when humanity is restored back with God, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be restored back to its original purpose to be a beautiful place for God and humanity to exist together, right? And that's what it's longing for. It's hoping for that. But until then, it's just sitting in this broken uh, futility, and it's hoping to be freed from that. Um, it's hoping to be freed from that. And so, so, as Paul says, it's currently in this bondage to corruption, to this bondage to corruption. Um, 
And, and one of the things that, that scientists will tell us, I think this is, this is really interesting as I was studying this week, um, they, there's something called the law of morpholysis. Okay, the law of morpholysis, um, and this is a basic principle uh, for science that, that pervades the whole universe. It's also called the, the law of increasing entropy, or the second law of thermodynamics. And if you guys know what that is, which I'm sure you all do, right? Shake your head. Sam might know from physics class, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, so essentially what this law says is that everything in our world is tending inward. It's trending inward, and everything is starting to wear out, right? It's, 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 this, it's this law that says every system, right, tends toward itself or to feed on itself to maintain its structure. And over time, it will simply slow down or disintegrate or die, right? So every system left to its own at some point will start to corrode and to die and to corrupt. And that's a picture of what Paul's talking about. Our world around us is in the midst of this process, Right? You look around at the world today, and it shouldn't surprise us that things are getting worse just from a, from a biological standpoint in our world. Right? Our world is corrupting, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. But yet, in the midst of all of this, right? and this is what God had promised. God said that it's going to get worse. But in the midst, there's a hope of what's to come. Right? Even for the earth, there's a hope of what's to come. And so, so nature itself was subjected to the curse and the futility and needs to be restored. And you say, well, where's the hope in that, right? Because I look at the world and I see how, how broken, um, as I go around and just see how messed up our world is, right? Watch any documentary you can find on TV, and it's going to tell you how broken and messed up our world is. What's the hope in that? The hope is that one day God is going to restore that and to bring it back. Um, God's going to bring that back. And so creation is waiting for that day. It's crying out. It's waiting. It's longing for this hope to be revealed, for it to be set free from bondage, right? And, and, and I think in and of itself, I think we ourselves, as part of creation, we kind of feel part of that bondage too, right? Like, like I think that's just part of the world we live in is we just like we, we feel so connected with this world that sometimes it feels like, man, we're just – Things are just kind of getting worse and worse and worse. And our hope, though, our hope that we look forward to is a day when God is going to restore that, when God is going to bring that back to its original purpose and in plan. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter talks about this. He talks about this future being set free from bondage. And he says, but according to his promise, right, what God has promised, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which the which righteousness will dwell, right? Our hope is that our hope is not in this world that we live in, right? And I feel like we walk a really delicate line in the world that we live in, right? On one hand, God has called us to be stewards of this world, and so I don't think that we have the right to just kind of treat it and abuse it any way that we want to. Like I think we, we're still called to be stewards and to care for the world that we live in, but our hope is not in this world, right? Um, there are people and their whole mission and purpose in life is just fixed to this one rock that we're living on, right? And so like they put all of their effort and everything into this world. And I think part of that is good. I think we should be good stewards. And I think in any way that we can, um, can care for this world that God has given to us, we should do that. But our hope should lie in something greater, right? And something to come in a, in a restored new heavens and a new earth that is going to be much better. Um, 
one of the one of the great theologians of of the past of the past probably hundred years is a guy named Martin Lloyd Jones, and um, he he was talking about how we even see a picture of the earth realizing. Uh, we even start to see a picture of the corruption of the world and 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 even the the creation crying out for that. Um, and I just want to read this quote. It's a little bit longer of a quote. I try not to read long quotes, mostly because I usually stumble over the words. Um, but I want to read this because I think it's really, really, uh, I think he's really on to something. I think this is really cool. So he says this, all right? He says, he says, there's this phenomenon that happens um, around springtime that supplies us with part of the answer. He says, nature every year, as it were, makes an effort to renew itself, to produce something permanent. It has come out of the death and darkness of all that is true in the winter, and in the spring, it seems to be trying to produce a perfect creation, to be going through some sort of birth pangs year by year. But unfortunately, it does not succeed, for spring leads to summer, whereas summer leads to autumn and autumn to winter. Poor old nature tries every year to defeat the vanity of the principle of death and decay and disintegration that it is in. But it cannot do so. He goes on to say, It fails every time. It still goes on trying as if it feels like things should be different and better, but it never succeeds. So it goes on groaning and travailing in pain together until now. It has been doing so for a long time, but nature still repeats this effort annually. But it will be set free one day from this corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And I think that's like such a beautiful picture, right? Is that even in, in the idea of spring, we see that there's this desire to be restored. And there's this understanding that things are not the way they should be, right? And the hope, right, where hope comes in is that we, we now set our minds on the freedom that awaits, right? We set our minds that there's coming a day when we're going to live in a place that's not broken and messed up, right? Where we, like creation, can scream out. For a restored world that we can live in perfect community with our God. And so hope looks past the broken bondage and looks to the freedom that's ahead. But then finally, hope sees future restoration instead of our waiting. Future restoration instead of our waiting. Look at what he says in verse 23. Now he turns the attention back to humanity. He says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons. Right? And so he's gonna say that 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 as he moves back now to humanity, he's gonna say that humanity itself is even waiting. He's gonna say that we're groaning. We're groaning. Waiting for something. What are we waiting for? This adoption. This adoption. The sons. Right? <clears throat> and so and so what is it? What is it that what is it that we're we're waiting for? What is this groaning that he's talking about? Uh, well that word that, that Paul uses there for groaning, it literally gives the sense of an internal squeezing of sorrow and internal it's, it's almost like if you were to take a to take like a um like you know those rubber chickens mm -hmm. and you squeeze it out and then you let go and it goes 
you know, it kind of makes that awful noise. Um, that's almost the picture of what this word is saying is that, is that we are, we ourselves are even groaning. Like we're, we're even waiting. Like we, we have that sense of sorrow and we realize the brokenness of our world and we're even groaning over our condition. It's also been defined as the utterance of a person who is caught in a dreadful situation and who has no immediate prospect of deliverance, right? It's, it's the idea of, of being in such a desperate place, but yet you don't feel like you have any hope of it getting any better, right? And so we're groaning, we're crying out, we're hoping. And I think we experience that in life from time to time, right? Like we, we experience that, that groaning and that longing. And so, and so thank you. I appreciate my teenagers being here. <laughs> they held up little signs and they, I mean, the fact that they're bringing their notebooks to church, I mean, I can't complain. They're, they're, they got my back. Um, it is a little humbling when a teenager corrects your spelling. Um, it's, it's part of the process. It's the already, but the not yet, right? There's coming a day um, when maybe I can spell. Um, but this groaning, right? This groaning, this, this desire, like we're, we're, we're in the midst of that. In fact, this is the same word that is used in Exodus 2.24 when it's talking about the Israelites being under the oppression um, of the Egyptians. It says, then God heard their groaning. This is uh, Exodus 2.24. God heard their groaning and remembered the covenant he made with Abraham. God heard the crying out of his people under the weight and the suffering. And so Paul is saying, we're in that place, right? We're crying out. We realize, uh, even though we may not be screaming it vocally outwardly, inside, we're screaming that things aren't the way they should be. And I think that's, I think that's so true for so many of us, right? Like, like we, may not, we may walk around and we may look like things are okay, but like when we're honest, like when we're away from people and when we can be really honest with ourselves, we realize that things are not okay a lot of times. And we're broken. And on the inside, we're screaming out. We're saying, man, things are just messed up. Man, this world is messed up. My life is messed up sometimes. Like there, there's an understanding that things are not the way they should be. And so we're screaming out. And, and the problem is a lot of people who don't have hope, who don't have faith in Jesus, like they're screaming out for nothing. Like they have nothing. There's no solution to the problem that they're currently experiencing. But yet for those of us that wear the badge of Jesus, those that, that are in the spirit, who have the spirit living in us, right? We have the hope. We have the solution. We have the answer to that crying out. And it's hope, Right? He says that they were screaming out. What are we screaming out? He said we're waiting eagerly, right? It's the idea, this, this word of eager is, is literally the idea that we are standing on our tippy toes, leaning forward. Like we, are, we can't get any closer. Like we are so eager and waiting for things to get better. We're right there at the verge of it. And we're just kind of waiting for it so eagerly. <clears throat> and so we're waiting. We're waiting for what? We said, Paul says that we're waiting for this adoption as sons. Right? <laughs> Now here I want to take a minute and just kind of talk about this because um, some people may be thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought he said a few verses back in 15 that we were already adopted. What are we waiting on, right? And that's where I think this idea of restoration really comes into play. Okay, and so it goes like this. We have already been chosen in Christ. When we put our faith in him and we receive the spirit, we are already chosen in Christ. We are his. We are called his children. But we're waiting for the full for the full adoption. We're waiting for that full process to be completed where we're completely his. And we're completely, um, we're, we're already completely his. We're waiting for that complete um, status, if you will, of, of inheritance and as sons of God. 
it kind of reminds me of our process as we adopted. Uh, as, as most of you guys know, we've adopted two boys um, out of the foster care system. And in the process of adoption, um, so we did it through fostering. And so what happens is, you know, you'll foster the kid and, and you go back to court like a thousand times um, as they try to make a decision of, of where to place that child. And so there gets to a point where they decide, okay, this child cannot return home. Right. And there's no other family. There's no other place that we can place them. And so um, we're going to um, set this kid to be adopted, adopted. And so as as the foster parents, they'll say, do you want to adopt this child? And, and, and so we've said yes two times to that. Um, and so then the court will sign an order. Right. The judge will sign a piece of paper and say that these children are going to be adopted. Right. But the process isn't done at that point. Right. There's still about a three month process after the judge signs that paperwork. And so even in the midst of that three months, and that's kind of where it is for us, in the midst of that three months, those kids are ours. Nothing is going to change that. Nothing. They are ours. They are as good as ours. But we're still waiting for that process to be completed. And that process is completed when we get that birth certificate in the mail. Um, and here's one of the really cool things that we didn't realize about adoption. When you adopt a child and you get their birth certificate in the mail, it comes, uh, and we, we just thought it would just you know, come with their name, with their name change and stuff, but it actually has your name listed as the parent. And then the really interesting thing is it has the age at which you would have been when that child was born, as if you were their biological parent. It's as if they had always been a part of your family. And I think that's that picture of where we're at, right? God has claimed us and said that we're his, and that judge has signed the order, right? We are his, and, and he gives us the Holy Spirit as the seal, as the promise, that that's going to happen one day, but we're waiting. We're waiting for the completion of that process. We're waiting for that day for when we get to stand before our Heavenly Father, and we cry out, and we're his, and we receive all that comes with being a son of God. I think that's what Paul is, is saying here. He says that, that we are waiting for our adoption. And he goes on to define that at the end of that verse. He says, the redemption of our bodies, right? Yes, we've been given a new spirit, a new spirit, a new heart has been put on us, but we're still walking around in these broken bodies, right? Like, like I think about in the morning sometimes, now that I'm past 35, um, actually, once I got past, I know, I know, I know, some of you guys are a few years older than that. Once I got past 30, though, I remember, I remember waking up one morning and thinking, when did I get to the point that going to sleep at night made me sore the next morning, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be like, you know, you, you worked out, you did something like extra crazy hard that day, like you'd wake up the next day and you were sore. I wake up sometimes in the mornings and I'm sore from sleeping. Like, how messed up is that? Right. And so we're so it's, it's very evident that the bodies that we still live in are still broken and like we still can have disease and, and, and experience all the, the hurt and things that come in that. And so, so part of that restoration process is going to be our new bodies. And in Second Corinthians, chapter one, Paul talks about this. And, and I think uh, or in chapter five, verse one, Paul says this. I think this is really, really cool how he says this. He says, for we know that if the tent, which is what he calls our body, I love that picture that, that it's just like a tent, like this is a temporary place that we're thing that we're living in, right? He says, for for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, right? So like if we die and that's going away, we have a building from God, mm-hmm. right? A house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan and we long to put on our heavenly dwellings. If indeed we if by putting on, we may be found to not be, or we may be not found to be naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by this life. 
Listen to what he says. I love this last part, how this all ties back in. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I think that just, just lines all of it up beautifully, right? And so, so even though we're living in these broken, messed up tents, we're waiting for the perfection of that, for the restoration of that to come. And that's going to come. And the guarantee we have of that is the Spirit, which is where we've been over the last like four weeks, is saying that if we have the Spirit, that's our guarantee, that's our promise. We know, we can have confidence that we're His. And that's where we're heading toward is this complete adoption as sons of God. And so we have to keep our hearts on the relationship. That's how we, we live in the already, in the waiting, and the groaning, waiting for this adoption, is that we keep our hearts on the relationship, right? We keep our hearts knowing that we're sons, we're children of God, and we're just waiting till that day of that adoption to be completed, right? So here's what I want us to do. Um, I want you guys, um, give you guys a little break. I know I've been talking for longer than I normally do up here. Um, I want, I want to take a few minutes and I want you guys to just talk about um, what that expectation, what does it look like? What do you imagine it to be on that day when you're fully restored in that relationship with God? Like what, what is it that you're longing for for that day the most? Does that make sense? Like what, what is the thing that you're longing the most for for that day when we can be restored back to that perfect relationship with our Father? Okay, so let's take a few minutes, talk about that, um, and then we're going to wrap up with one last thing. You know, we've said that we're going to be looking at this passage through the lens of the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. What does that mean? Um, and we haven't touched much on the Spirit at this point. Um, however, there in verse 23, um, Paul says this. Um, he says that, you know, not only creation, but we ourselves are groaning. Um, but he says, uh, when he says we ourselves, he says, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits of the Spirit. And that, that phrase, the first fruits, um, is, really, is really significant and really important. Careful. I, I know, I'm <laughs> nervous now. I'm like, are we good? My spell check? Good? I need to give you all a little uh, red marker come under here, you know, like on your phone and do the give little... Give you a star. Let me know if, it's, if it needs correcting or whatever. Um... This word first fruits, right? We have first fruits of the Spirit. Um, and, and I think that's how we can have that hope. How can we know? How can we be confident? Um, how do we know that Paul's talking to us? Well, he's saying those that have the first fruits of the Spirit, you can know that this is coming, right? And this word first fruits, um, this, this, was, um, this phrase is actually an Old Testament phrase that's used a lot in the Old Testament, but it represents the first portion of an offering set aside specifically for the Lord. Uh, it was also used as the first portion of a harvest, um, which was to, to give the first initial amount of the harvest, but it was also to let you know what the harvest was going to be like that year. And so back in the day, you know, when, when, when back in the Old Testament time, when they would go out and they would harvest, say, wheat or whatever it may be, they would bring in the first fruits, the first portion. And that would tell them, yes, there's a promise that more's coming. So there's this excitement that, man, the harvest is going to come in. Like, it didn't all get destroyed this year, so I can count on that. But it's also going to tell me the quality. So you, so you would know that, like, if, if you brought in your first harvest of wheat and, like, half of it was just, like, really bad, right, you would be expecting there was not going to be a good harvest here that year. 
But if you came in and it was plentiful, right, and it was healthy grain, I don't know that much about grain, but beautiful, wonderful-looking, delicious grain that came in, right, then you would know that that harvest was going to be it was going to be great and you had something to look forward to. And in the same way, Paul says that for those of us that have the Spirit in us, we start to see the first fruits. The Spirit is our first fruits, right? The Spirit is, is living in us and we start to see the first fruits of that. So in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, he says that, like we just talked about, the Spirit was given as that guarantee, right? That's the first fruits. That's the initial part of the promise that we are going to be sons of God. Um, Romans, you know, like you said, there's the first fruits. But then also, as, as we look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, right? As we see those welling up in our lives, right? So the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control. When those things start to produce in our lives, those can be indicators. Those can be things that we can build confidence on. If we see those things in our lives, we can have confidence that we belong to God and that this future glory awaits us, right? That there's something greater that's coming and we can have confidence in that. And I can tell you that in a world that's broken, like we talked about so much that we live in, right? We need confidence. We need to have that confidence and that assurance of something that's greater. Um, and so those first fruits of the Spirit, the, the fact that we have the Spirit living in us, and that we're already starting to see that Spirit work in our lives, is a promise of what's to come. Of what's to come. And so if you will, this morning, um, let's, let's pray together as we kind of as we kind of wrap up i want us to pray together and then um we're going to come and and lead in a few uh tom's going to come lead us in a few more songs of worship today and as we do that um i want you guys to be thinking about um that i think our response time today is man do i see that fruit in my life right do i see that fruit being produced in my life um is there is there is there signs is there indication of the spirit in my life and if not um, we would love to have that conversation with you. I'll be standing somewhere toward the front. I'd love to pray with you or talk with you about that. Um, but it also may be a great time this morning as we as we think about um, all that we've heard about the, the already but the not yet to be asking ourselves, do I have my hope fixed on that, right? Because we're going to wake up. Here's the thing. like We may be really charged when we leave today, but we're going to wake up tomorrow morning right in the midst of all of this of the suffering and the longing and the groaning and the waiting. Like, we're going to wake up in the midst of all of this. And do we have our eyes, do we have our, our attention focused on this hope of what's to come, the glory and the revealing of sons and this adoption, right? And so maybe it's just a time that as we sing these songs, it's just a time for you to set your heart so that, so that as you encounter the world that we live in, that you're prepared, that your heart is ready, that your mind is focused, that your attention is focused on what's to come, as Paul has said. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together, God. Thank you for allowing us, God, just to be able to uh, come and to learn from you. Father, I, uh, I just ask that you would help us, um, God, as we try to walk through this already part of this world, as we walk through the brokenness of this world. Um, God, as we walk through the heartache and the hurt and the things that we walk through in this life, God. God, to realize that you walk with us. God, that if we have your spirit in us, that you are with us and that you are for us, God. And we can have confidence in that. God, uh, I pray that as we, uh, as we go throughout this week, that we would be living as people who are not, uh, not just focused on 
what we have, um, God, the things that we're going through, but God, we're focused on the future, on the hope that we have, on the promise of what's to come, God, on things that are ahead of us and not, God, the things that are behind us or the things we're currently dealing with. And so, God, help us, help us just to live in that, in that place, um, God, and we thank you for that. God, we're encouraged by that. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.